This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson over there. Plenty to get to today, a post-National Signing Day edition of the podcast. We'll hit on some of Matt Rule's comments uh, during his press conference and kind of put the the 2024 class to bed. It's kind of been a little drowsy, kind of getting in the bed. We'll we'll tuck it in uh, with a few final thoughts and some super sixes as well. Uh, Before we get going, if you're following us on YouTube, uh, please hit the subscribe button. That would, uh, we would love that. So Please do that. Follow us on Spotify, wherever else you can find us. Uh, that That's just the, the the quick thing to get out of the way before we get rolling. Uh, Brian, how's it going? Uh, we're, we, we made it through another class, and we'll get into what Matt Rule was talking about, but what's new? Uh, not a lot's new. Does it, do you know if there's a particular like story that the 24 class likes to hear before bed? Is there that they, you know, <laughs> like a go-to? Uh yeah, I don't know. Good night, moon. Maybe where the wild things are. That I like where the wild things are okay. as a bedtime story for the kids because there's not a lot to read. Like after you've been chasing them around for twelve hours, you don't, you don't want to like have to have to like sit and read some Chaucer or something like that before bedtime. Yeah, I can't say I've actually uh, as one without uh, kids. I haven't read where the wild things are, um, but uh, it sounds like it's about my speed. Yeah. <laughs> so so that'd be good. Um, so we, we heard from Matt rule after national signing day, um, a little bit later, uh, than, than what was scheduled because of Keona Will Heights commitment announcement, but let's get into, he had some interesting comments. I thought it, a, a few kind of bullet point items, I guess, first off, I mean, the, the, the 2024 class is largely going to be defined, I think, by the quarterback picture, the fact that you've got Dylan Raiola. Uh, in, in what was an upset um, with or with not an assist by Kirk Herb Street, apparently based on the way things have gone the last 24 hours. Um, but beyond that, I mean, he kind of just laid it out with the quarterback picture. I mean, I, I think some people maybe expected that, um, that Nebraska is going to go and, and get just kind of a stopgap depth piece at quarterback in the spring. They still might, but, he said they're all in on their three quarterbacks, Harburg, Raiola, and uh, Danny Kalen. What did you kind of make of just the just kind of off tackle, straightforward? This is what we're doing approach. Yeah, I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, he did say um, I. It, you got the sense if he had his druthers, he would like four quarterbacks, you know, uh, in the room, and that's always a possibility. He could add one like after the spring. Um, but also he sees the benefit right now of having three scholarship guys because, uh, reps, you know, all those guys need reps. Like he always speaks about how Heinrich Harburg, even though he's, you know, 
a, a fourth year or whatever college player. He hasn't played a ton of uh, QB snaps by rules uh, measure. Um, and so all the, all that, um, you know, work that he's going to get because there's not as many guys, because like last year they had six scholarship guys at one point and it's just crowded and it's tough to get everybody out there for as much as you want. Um, I'm sure some guys, if they're honest about it, realize they're like four through six and they're maybe not like feeling it quite like you would if you think you're like in the fight. So I think it's a pretty, I get where he's coming from like this spring. It's like a good deal with two young guys and then Harburg is the vet kind of trying to prove himself where it's like you get all these reps to grow with your position coach, Glenn Thomas, and uh, to try to prove yourself and prove yourself to your team. And I thought that was an interesting comment too, just when he was talking about, you know, Guys don't give a crap about like what a guy was rated last year or what he did in high school or, or this or that. Now that they're at Nebraska, it's about like, what can you do for me now? Can you show that you're putting in the work and you're that guy who is so diligent to his craft that it's going to help me and help us win. And so that's the opportunity in front of all of these quarterbacks. Obviously Dylan Ryle is the most highly profile one that everyone's going to talk about the most, but um, for all three, it's, it's a good situation. And Daniel Kalen, it's a good situation too. He came here to get to grow as a quarterback and show what he can do. And he's going to get a lot of opportunities to, to put his foot forward. So you got to like that. Do, do you get the sense that they're going to try to pursue somebody? I mean, they're basically looking, I, I would guess, for somebody who profiles similarly to like a Tristan Jebbia, like a guy that's been through it, a guy that maybe wants to get into coaching, maybe under like somebody who kind of understands the the roster math and where things kind of break out. And do, do you think they'll yeah. pursue somebody or did you get the sense that like that, that that's something they might do? I thought they might do it. I, I, I thought that's how I got it. I don't know how you took it. It's like, I got the sense like if in a perfect world, if you ask Matt rule, like how many scholarship quarterbacks would you like in a given season? His answer would be four, but he also knows in this climate, um, you know, especially at that particular position, it can be difficult to, to have that, to actually achieve that. And um, for now that the three guys looks pretty good for the spring now, like if there's an injury or something, though, you know how it goes. Immediately, there's some panic and it's like, OK, uh, now what if this happens? And, the, and then you people start to get really concerned and think about the depth chart. So that's why that fourth guy is kind of nice. But I think you laid it out within the question of what it would be. a Yeah, like a Jebbia, like a guy like who I don't think you're thinking like is Kyle McCord, who's coming in here to take the job in the fall, just like a guy who has been around kind of has a lay of the land, understands what the situation is, is a really good like guy in the room to help, and he could be available if needed. That would be like my ideal person. I don't know if he's out there, but maybe that pops up in the summer or something. And if not, you roll with what you got, and you hope everybody just keeps good health. Um, but for right now, it's three guys, and they're all in on the young on the youth movement. I mean, he said that on early signing day, and and that's where that's where they're at. They're, they they went all in with Dylan Rylo and Danny Kalen and let's go, let's see him develop. As he says, from the ground up with a guy he really trusts in Glenn Thomas. That's a good segue to the, the quarterback coaching conversation. We'll hear from Glenn Thomas for the first time, um, at least 
with with the media horde on Monday. Uh, but but Matt Rule kind of hit on maybe his background at Temple and, and, and at Baylor with Thomas, where they kind of did go youth movement a little bit. They they built things from the ground up. Um, wh- what did you kind of make of those comments and, and maybe what he had to say about Thomas? I mean, it, we had kind of been talking for weeks d- during the, the dead period that this was probably going to happen once the NFL season uh, was done. Mm-hmm. But it seems like there's a very clear picture of what they want out of that quarterback coaching position. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, Glenn Thomas, there's just such a trust factor there because there was success together. Um, and it shows in the numbers. Like if you go look at, at Temple when he was there, PJ Walker, who was in the league now, um, and actually got to start this year, he had pretty good TD interception ratio and really grew i thought um sort of under the tutelage of glenn thomas and then you saw the same thing i think with charlie brewer um you know where he had really good touchdown interception ratio numbers i think if you go through it for the most part especially after what we saw last season um but all those guys developed they they, each of those qbs got better from year to year and they became winners i mean that that's the bottom line is um at temple uh, PJ Walker and that offense, they, they knew how to operate efficiently and to win games and to be clutch. And Charlie Brewer was sort of that too, as he went through his career at Baylor. And so there is a good background of, I think for the QBs in the Nebraska room to look at what Glenn Thomas has done and said, this guy's had some success and oh yeah, he's coached in the NFL. He's coached uh, Matt Ryan uh, with the Falcons. Um, and seeing what it takes to communicate and, and have success at that level as well. Um, so he's probably got, um, you know, a lot of respect coming in just with his background with the, with the quarterback. So it makes sense to me, the hire, uh, it, it, you know, I know sometimes people are like, oh, he hired his friend or it's a, his good, you know, it's a buddy hire and all that stuff. That's what ha- you hire guys you trust and you believe in and you know what they're about and you know you don't have to babysit them and you know he's going to take care of his business and this guy's going to take care of his business and that I mean that's what you want on a staff so I understand it completely. The we we were kind of wondering I guess I think a lot of people were about what the division of labor would be in terms of play calling offensive scheme that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean we got our answer very clearly. Uh, it's Mark it's the Marcus Satterfield show still. Um, he's going to be handling tight ends with input from the other offensive assistants, certainly Glenn Thomas as well. But w- w- what do you kind of make of that? And I, 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 I was thinking about it, and I think Matt Rule's comments about, you know, you, you as an offensive coordinator, you get pulled away a lot. And I think it makes sense to have a coach that just only deals with quarterbacks. I mean, I, I think early on I would have said, well, it, it helps to have that guy be the same, the, the quarterback's coach and the OC be the same guy. But I can see – the appeal of having a guy coordinating an offense that's not having to be pulled away from the quarterbacks. Like I, I, I felt like Matt Rule sold me on that a little bit more than maybe what I was thinking earlier this this uh, off season. I could definitely see it within a game too, like on a Saturday, and like let's just say one of your young your freshmen threw a pick or something. Like it's nice if you have a guy who's just like dedicated to being in that guy's headspace and like, okay, what are you, what did you see there and all that? Well, the, well, the OC is in a different position, like figuring out, okay, 
how do we come back from this in the big picture way? Right. Like not the, this individual, but the whole team. Um, so that makes sense to me. It was interesting how rule, uh, differentiated, like he would like his QBs coach to be his OC. Maybe if you're running like the air raid, as he said, um, but they're not. And so he thinks, you know, Satterfield working now more with the tight ends actually aligns better with his OC job title. And I can, we've kind of talked about this before. I understand that because they want it to be a positionless offense. They've spoken about that since they got here. And there's no position that represents more like how can you be creative and like you got to figure out how to work those guys as run blockers, but also get them loose in the passing game. And some of them can be receivers and running backs at the same time as tight ends. There's so much going on with that room and the way they've cre- uh, recruited it too, Brunts, as you know, with some of the guys coming in, it's an exciting group that Satterfield has. So I, it does make a lot of sense. That's what they wanted him to coach a year ago. It just didn't sort of work out with how uh, various job hires happened. So, um, yeah, I have no problem with it. Um, I like that it was definitive too. Like sometimes I've covered teams where the head coach doesn't is all wishy-washy about, did you, did you call a few plays Did this guy? And it becomes like this government secret and everybody starts to rumor about it. And, uh, he just put it to bed like in February, like, you know, Marcus calls the plays and the co for Glenn Thomas stands for collaborator. <laughs> which I guess I, I should have known. Yeah. I did, I, I, right I, there in front of your face the whole time. I, I didn't, I didn't see that, but I, now I do. So, um, yeah, he explained it well. He always does. He's good at that. I mean, that's a, like, you can see why, uh, you know, he, he excels in, uh, the press conferences at laying out, this is our plan and this is why we're doing it. And he did it there. So I I've said before, I don't know if this matters, now runs because people will be like, well, Satterfield's still calling the play. So if the offense has bad days, it'll come back to him. I I do think maybe still this applies, though, that it feels like there's an understanding within the fan base and media. It's like more spread out, like in how they're planning and attacking things. And so like all the arrows don't necessarily have to go at one coach or one guy, like for something that goes wrong, you know, like it's a it's very much on everybody. So I don't know if there's use to that or not, but um, I do know Glenn Thomas and Satterfield have known each other for 20 plus years. And so this is not like a new blend where they're trying to figure each other out this week. They've, they've, they've been around each other. Yeah. I think that continuity helps a lot. Like you don't have not, not saying this happens all the time, but I, I think there's, you know, maybe sometimes a blending of egos with coaches whenever guys that haven't worked together are kind of forced into that situation. I mean, you got to kind of figure out what a guy's tendencies are and why they do things a certain way. And it's it's nice that you're you're starting a little bit further down the road um, with those two and, and being able to collaborate. So um, did you get it from rule? Did you get a, a feeling that there's a kind of a heightened sense of urgency this year, just kind of given what they have coming back? Yeah, I think so. I think they know they let a few slip too last season, like five, you're five and seven until you aren't, he would always say, but it's also like, man, that, that could have been seven or eight. Everybody knows it. There's games that were on the table with like a play here, play there. Um, you've got a lot of guys back from that team who saw it. It was like right in front of their face, like how like 
you know, if the, if you would have done this a little differently, he got very specific at one point. He was talking about the Maryland game and the pick in the end zone. And there was just like guys not completely doing what they're supposed to do, really. And that's a spot where I got the sense he was basically saying that's like a standard football play. We're just like, go make the play like it shouldn't be have been like this big talking point about should have they done this or that. It was a pretty standard like everybody knows their role. Somebody go get the ball and score a touchdown or whatever. Um, and instead, you had a pick and he said, that's, you know, that sort of stuff's not going to happen this year. Like we need guys that like they they live for that moment. And um so there, I did, I did sense the urgency and also there's a under understanding, I think within winter conditioning of things that players maybe thought, Oh, we're doing this great now. Now it's okay. And great needs to be higher. And so we'll see. That's the fun talk of the off season. Of course, everything always sounds like it's going to be um, better and all that, but you know, it's good to hear like Jamal Banks being involved um, and right away. Apparently he's at every event um, and, and racking up points and um, impressing. And um, he said he was going to come in and be a leader and he's he's doing that. And so if you can get some of those guys to mesh with the guys returning, um, you know, maybe you do get those extra plays that you were missing a year ago. Lastly, from a rule, we got a kind of a, a cursory injury update guys that are out for spring guys that are questionable for spring for parts of it correct me if i'm wrong on the list so out we know is turner corcoran um ramir johnson gabe irvin uh garcia castaneda still Mm. still coming back from the knee injury um questionable uh, Prince Will Imam Yellen um, with the shoulder coming back off of a shoulder. Malachi Coleman also a little questionable with the shoulder. Is there anybody else that I'm missing out of that that crew? No, you got the main ones. Now, you know, um, he didn't say these guys, but like, uh, you know, Rex Guthrie and Evan Taylor are newcomers who are enrolled early, who are, I would guess, limit. I know Evan Taylor is not going to be out there in the spring, but um, Guthrie could be limited, I would suppose, from the injury we reported on from his high school day. So there's those. And then it sounds like Maverick Noonan's a good uh, update where he could be a participant um, after he got injured last fall camp. Uh, with a knee injury. And um, beyond that, I'm trying to think if there's, you know, Brody Tagaloa we heard is around. Um, so he rule didn't specifically talk about him, but he'd be good to get, we'll have to get an update at some point on like how he's doing, because we thought he was going to play last year before he was in an automobile accident. I guess the things that stand out to me though, Brunts, and you can take it after this w- with your thoughts, you know, running back with Gabe, and Ramir out as I was expecting, you know, it kind of becomes all eyes on Dante Dowdell, not that they wouldn't be. And Quentin Ives too, like, can he like show what he's about sort of this spring? And we start to hear a little bit about him. And then Turner Corcoran's injury is the other thing um, that's going to go into fall camp and maybe into the season. So that's going to be yeah. one that makes the O-line picture a little interesting. Yeah. The, the running back picture and, Emmett Johnson was, you know, coming off of a pretty strong year when he was thrust into it. Um, you know, he's got a chance to kind of build on what he did last year without, yep. you know, the crowded room, which might bode well for him too. But 
yeah, I mean, I, Rule talked about Dante Dowdell, and the reason they wanted him was just he's a bigger back, and, and they wanted more of that presence, uh, you know, in the Big Ten late in games, the, those November-type games where you need to get a couple first downs and, and salt away time and things like that. So it's going to be all, all eyes on him, like you said. I think Emmett Johnson's got a chance. We, You know, we've – how many offensive snaps did Quentin Ives play last year? One, I think, one or two, and he didn't get the ball on him. So – you know, that, mm. that's that's another person that needs to kind of stand up and be counted this spring. I know based on everything that Matt Rule said, they love his potential long term, but uh, just haven't seen it yet. So, um, you know, the the one that's the Corcoran one was interesting to me because I think everybody in their heart of hearts sees him as a guard, um, wants him to make that transition. Nebraska probably has enough tackle depth finally to where they could put him at guard and, and just kind of see how it goes there. But it sounds like that's going to be, you know, maybe into fall camp before he's back hundred percent. So, you know, the additions of uh, Micah Mazuka makes a little bit more sense now, I think. Um, and, you know, Matt rule had pointed comments about how he needs to kind of come along fast too, and kind of get with the program. But w- what did you kind of make of the Corcoran thing? Cause I think, I think he was always kind of the wild card in everybody's discussion about what that offensive line is going to look like this season. Yeah, I hope he's back by fall camp, but it sounded a little dicey. And if he is back, um, I think he uh, really could fit in at guard. We've always been guard fans of him, like wanted to see him at guard and just see how that would look. So I, I hope he gets that opportunity. But right now it sounds like it's an injury that's going to linger close to the season. And so that worries you when the head coach actually says that in February a little bit, you know, because, you know, so, so usually there's a sort of optimism about, oh, you hope he'll be back by the summer fall camp. Didn't sound as much like that was an automatic in this case. And uh, yeah, Mizuka, um time to step up. <laughs> it sounded like, um, you know, when the head coach uh, gave the answer he did about about him when asked about him at the press yeah. conference. A little Anthony Grant feeling to that one. Um, anything else we need to hit on from Rule? I think th- that was the the bullet points that I had. Was there anything else that he said that that bears repeating or talking about? No, not anything we can't cover over the next few weeks. Still, <laughs> <laughs> plenty, of, plenty of time for all that. All right, we'll we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk a little bit of uh, the additions, two additions, notable additions on signing day then run through our super sixes that are always guaranteed to hit. So we'll be back in just a second. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Okay. So the 24 class is finished up, but Nebraska added a couple pieces. Um, you know, one, I, I think that kind of fell into their lap a little bit. Another one where they had to beat off a future uh, Big Ten um foe to get the commitment uh Keanu Wilhite defensive lineman out of Arizona uh Nebraska B 
beat out UCLA for him. He had been um, signed with Washington, released from his letter of intent uh, with all the coaching change happening in January. Um, this was, I, I think, a when you kind of look at the way the class was pieced together, defensive line was one area where it was a little bit thin. And I know they've got the numbers that they feel pretty good about on, on the roster now, but Keanu Wilhite, I think, was a really kind of nice cherry on top for this class because you're getting what a six foot five, 240 pound kid that can get after the passer a little bit. What did you make of that addition? And and what did it kind of do, I guess, for kind of your overall picture of, of that, that group that they're bringing in? Um, I think Keona Wilhite's the kind of addition that they thought so highly of him that they went after someone in the February signing day period that when they wouldn't have had or probably even thought they had to do anything at all. You know what I mean? Like he was it was a unique situation, obviously, when Kalen DeBoer left Alabama or Washington for Alabama. DeBoer, by the way, at the early signing day press conference in Washington, when they signed uh, Will Height spoke about how this guy he's like this guy is the type of guy you need to play in the Big Ten like he's got all the stuff you know and we expect him to be on the field sooner than later basically is what he said so they really liked him um he can the thing that's cool about him is he's like 6'5 240 now but I think he could be 260 265 what you know something like that if he wanted to be um and he played next to a five-star right on his team um that i guess you could say overshadowed him somewhat like in the headlines but i i've heard from a couple people down there that are in that area and they say he's nebraska got as good as the other you know on this one and we'll see um but there there's definitely some feeling that will height like was probably um as good as like his counterpart who was a five star so a lot of promise there um sounds like he's a real good culture kid too from everything we've heard and so why not um as rule says if you can add big people i'm gonna add big people like whenever i think they can play and so you know good opportunity here and um i feel like it was kind of a february steal we it was a sleepy signing day as you'd expect but if will height ends up being a really good player and um we'll get to Kamir prescott and some of these guys i mean you'll end up saying, Hey, that, that, that was a worthwhile Wednesday. Yeah. The it's kind of felt like in some ways that the ideal for Nebraska is like you get your guys mainly in your class in the summer, you add some guys, you know, as you go along through the fall and in December, but January is a time when you work ahead. And if there's kind of like a best available type guy that you have a connection with, um, you know, pursue that. And I think that's, you know, with, with the way college football is now with coaching changes and, you know, those happening later and later, because, I mean, as you have an expanded college football playoff, I think you're probably going to have to see some of that movement happening later uh, in the recruiting process with the calendar the way it is now. Um, you, you're going to see those guys pop up a little bit more and guys getting released from letters of intent or guys opening recruitments at the the tail end of December and taking it into January and February. I, I think you're going to see a few more of those guys that you can kind of pursue and are worth pursuing as, as uh, you know, the years kind of go along. So that's a good get. Kamir Prescott, a defensive back uh, out of Philadelphia. He had been committed to Wisconsin for 
six or seven months, reopened his recruitment uh, late in the process. Nebraska gets him on, on a signing day decision, uh, technically a walk-on now, a guy that's, what do we call him, scholarship adjacent, I think is probably the way to say it at this point. Um, I, I would expect that he would be on it pretty quickly. 6-1-190 is safety. He's also played some corner. He's played slot corner. He's had to line up as a nickel. He's a really versatile defensive back. That's another instance, I think, of Nebraska just kind of flexing its its connections. And, you know, he had visited in the spring, so he wasn't completely unfamiliar with Nebraska, but a, a good late addition that, um, you know, a crowded defensive back room, but a, a, another kind of talented piece that they're adding there. Yeah. And, um, you know, he doesn't technically count on the 85, but it's hard to track that anymore. Um, as we've said, you know, it, 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 he's, he's a player who's a scholarship caliber player that, um, you know, you're right there. It is stacked up with bodies right now, but that's, that's nice. You can have them go compete and, you know, not everybody's going to survive. There'll be guys at some point who will move on. That's the way it goes. But, um, Kamir Prescott, when he's a type of prospect, like in the spring or summer, if you heard he's visiting or he's on your campus, you're pretty excited about. So I don't think anything is dramatically changed in how you would view about him as far as like now being on your roster. Um, and so nice job with by Evan Cooper on that one of keeping that relationship rolling. And, um, you know, there was an opportunity where the player probably needed a chance somewhere and he's a good player and Nebraska's like, come on over. Let's, let's do this. Let's see what you got. He'll get as much a chance as anybody else. Like I, I know sometimes it's like, Oh, he's walk on he's scholarship. James Williams was a walk on last year, technically. Um, and every, he was like the story of October around here or whatever, you know? So who cares? Um, in a way, that's how I feel about it at this point. So both Will Height and Prescott were added late. Um, that I, I I don't think they either of them made it on to very many super sixes. Most of that hay was already in the barn um, by the time we got around to actual signing day. You want to run through your super six real quick that are a list of six guys and a sleeper that will absolutely positively be hits um, for Nebraska. Either I guess how do you approach it? Because that, that's the thing too. Like I always kind of take like a long term, like mm-hmm. four years from now, how many guys from this list are going to be considered hits? And I yeah. do you approach that differently, or how do you kind of think about it? Yeah, I think it. First off, I think anybody can be allowed to look at it any way. Like I, we had a couple votes, I think that didn't have Riola number one, and um, if you look at some of those votes, it, they're they're more. Um, focused on like some of the transfer guys, you know, I believe and how they could impact 24. And that makes sense to me too. Like I get it. So that um, it's good to have all different kind of thoughts on it. Um, I kind of look at it unless I think I like the person to be able to contribute multiple years, I guess is the simplest way to say it. However, if I thought for sure, Jamal Banks, were just going to like have a Trey Palmer, uh, 1100 yard year or something. I would, um, I'd throw him on there probably. I I do think he's going to be good. I don't know if he'll be that good. Um, So I didn't put him on there. But so I went with more like your traditional, 
guys who are going to be around. And I had, uh, first off, my sleeper was Donovan Jones because he's from Omaha North, of course. Um, no, actually, because I just, he had a great senior year. I mean, sure. I think he, he backed up why he got the offer in camp. He's just a playmaker. He seems like he could fit everywhere. He's really just a solid dude. I think he'll come in and he'll have success in this program. Um, I didn't have Caleb Benning on there, but he was on our super six. And I think Caleb's, a, I feel the same way about Caleb and Donovan. Like they're just going to like, they'll get something done at some point as Huskers. I believe that my super six is the six uh, linebacker out of Miami. Um, I just, I liked how um, just, motivated he is to carve his own name i like his his film and all that other stuff but he's also got like a chip on his shoulder a little bit because and i get it every time he gets interviewed or stories were written about him as a recruit it's like son of you know nfl standout or former hurricane great you know and all that and he's carving his own path on a different side of the ball and i just think he's got He's got something to him where he's going to get stuff done in the college level. So he was my six. Uh, I'll rip through the top five. Five, I had Mario Buford. Four, uh, Dante Dowdell. Three, Grant Bricks. Two, Carter Nelson. One, Dylan Riola. Um, honestly, one, two, and three were pretty easy for me. Um, yeah. I know you, for me. Um and I know you had a receiver on there on yours. I really liked it. I didn't have, um, but I, I totally get why you guys are big on him, but yeah, my, I, I thought Ryle, uh, <clears throat> I, I think he's got all the tools and it, you know, he's going to have to meet the hype and all that, but I, I just. Good. And I think Carter Nelson ever and, and shine just, and be just fine and get open. So, um, I had no reservations about those guys at the top. Yeah, I my top was a little bit different from yours. My sleeper was Vincent Shavers. Um, mm, I think in yeah. part, he just didn't get a ton of run because it was a late addition to the class. Um, you watch his highlights, and he's just a guy that can run. Like He, he can get around the field quickly. Mm. He gets sideline to sideline really well. And he feels like the type of guy that's toolsy enough that like Nebraska would feel comfortable putting him on the field young, younger in his career, just because it's like, you can do one thing really well. We're going to maximize that and really highlight that in a little, in, in some ways, kind of like a James Williams, like there's something that we can trust you to do in a very specific role. We're going to do that. And I think long-term, I, I think he's, he's got a chance to be pretty good. Um, already up about 10 pounds since he's been on campus. Um, that, that's kind of the big thing to me. I, he was, what, like 210, something like that uh, when he arrived. So um, I, I think he's got a – that was a good late late one for Nebraska, I think. Um, quickly beyond that, uh, I had Caleb Benning at six, Mario Buford at five. I think both of those guys, you, you they, they just kind of have a maturity about them that – Mm -hmm. I think kind of allows guys to be contributors and they're smart enough to understand that, you know, maybe it's special teams to start out with, but they're going to find a way to kind of be used on the field. And, you know, I, I think Buford, especially 
with Nebraska not taking too many just true corners and there being some question mark um, about the depth there. I think he's got a he's a guy that that you know maybe sooner than later uh, could get on the field. Uh, beyond that, Ed Carter Nelson at four, uh, McGahee had at three. I, I I just think that he flashed so much in his highlights, and I, I guess I didn't during the recruiting process really have a great appreciation for that until we got to December, and it was kind of like, okay, this guy is just he's a real problem on the field, and just kind of had a nose for the ball was just kind of always around it. And I, I think that kind of stood out to me. And like you said, I mean, I, I think he's got a, I think he's got a chip on his shoulder a little bit coming to Nebraska to, to kind of make his own name. Uh, and I had Ja'Cory Barney at two and, and then Riola at one, obviously Riola for all the reasons that Brian said, um, I, I think he's got to be number one. And then with Barney, I, I think he's a guy that I, I think we kind of talked about this, maybe in December a little bit, but he's a guy that I don't think we're talking about nearly enough in this class. He didn't play just strictly wide receiver, he played quarterback, running back. I, I think he did pretty much everything on the field. With enrolling early, with the kind of path, I think that there is somewhat the playing time at the wide receiver spot. I think he's going to be a guy that you, you kind of hear from sooner than later. So I, 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 Probably is a little strong to have him at number two, but I know that Nebraska really felt like that was a really big recruiting win for them over the summer when they they got his commitment over Miami. So um, I, I, I'll kind of bet a little bit there, but I, I had Corey Barney at number two. I like the boldness. I think he's kind of an athletic freak too um, with like his workouts and stuff like that. He's just some of the stuff I gathered in interviews, he's a little ahead of the game from some guys his age. And, and so I, I don't, he, he's got, he knows he had to bolt has to bulk up a little bit upon arrival maybe, but wouldn't shock me at all. If he contributes this year, um, he's planning on it. He's a very confident individual. And, um, I like, I, I just, I, I like of all the people I interviewed in this class, he was like, to me, the most confident and like, sh- sure. Like, I'm, I'm going to go there and get stuff done. Just as long as I can keep him off the ice, which I still feel badly. Oh about. yeah. 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 He took a, he took a tumble as we, as we all do at one point in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, anything else from, from the 24 class that we need to hit on? I think, I think that was all I had on the, on the docket today. No, I think you, I think you nailed it. Um, with, with what you said, you're, your super six is good. I like it. I like shavers too, as your sleeper. Um, he, uh, he would have been on more lists if he weren't like so new to the conversation. I'm pretty convinced. The the way that this staff put this class together made it difficult to pick sleepers. I think like mm-hmm. some of these evaluation guys that, you know, got offers at camps or, you know, a lot of the June guys, I think could probably fit that, that bill. You know, yeah. I mean, Gradney is Gradney a sleeper or is he not? I mean, he's like was he's like a kind of a, but I think Gradney's a guy they viewed as like someone they were in on, you know, before some other schools. Twenty four seven Sports was always pretty high on Gradney. Yeah. Um, so like Braylon Prude, um, pretty interesting guy you could say as a sleeper. Um, you know, Rex Guthrie, you could say as a sleeper, um, uh, 
they had some guys who didn't end up here that would have been great sleepers too that we thought might at times so um you're right there's it it it's actually a pretty good conversation for that. I think you could almost do a list too. Maybe this is what the super six is to some people, but it's not always to me. I'm kind of thinking high end stuff. I could almost make a separate list of guys. I feel good. Like I would do this list and maybe we should just do this for fun in the off season of like guys you feel good are going to get something done. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. you don't know that they're going to be all, all big 10 or whatever, but you just, believe without a doubt like they're going to make a catch at some point on a third and six or you know they're going to do something in their husker career where on a saturday we're like okay there he is we we wrote about him once as a recruit now he's making a play in a game like those kind of guys you're you're advocating for a sleepy six we could uh a sleepy we could maybe, six. maybe get some sponsorship get like a mattress company get like cat the yeah. casper sleepy six that's a pretty good idea we'll have to run that by schaefer see what he thinks yeah i like it all right. Uh, well, that's that's all we got for today. Um, lots going on over the next week, though. Uh, basketball is uh, right, riding the uh, the NCAA tournament bubble roller coaster. They've got Michigan at home on Saturday. Baseball a, a week away from starting, and uh, yeah, lots. We'll, we'll have Glenn Thomas coverage uh, from his availability on Monday. So make sure to get to Husker 24-7 uh, for all that coverage and more. And we'll be back next week with more Husker 24-7 podcasts.